Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Welcome to the Oregon Employment Law Podcast. I'm Paul Cerner, an attorney in Ogletree Deacon's Portland, Oregon office. Joining me today is Florence Mao, who is also an attorney in Ogletree Deacon's Portland, Oregon office. Flo and I focus our practice on representing both public and private employers throughout Oregon in employment litigation and advice and counsel. Today, we're going to talk about key considerations for employing a remote workforce in Oregon. Many employers who are out of state have been opening up job positions pretty much anywhere in the country since the pandemic. And so these employers may not be familiar with some important Oregon laws when they have one or two remote employees in the state. So today we'll talk about what are the most important laws to be aware of and and things to consider when you're opening up your workforce to remote work in states where you're not typically doing business. Flo, when thinking about personnel policies, employers might want to consider the state and local laws of where their employees are located. One law that is definitely unique to Oregon is the Oregon Workplace Fairness Act, which went into full effect in October of 2020. What can you tell employers about that law? Yeah, so in Oregon, uh, the state law already prohibits discrimination, retaliation, and harassment based on some of the same protected classes recognized by Title VII. So this includes race, gender, um, age for employees over 40, um, and other protected classes. But also, in addition to that, Oregon law has more protected classes for age discrimination for employees that are 18 or older, not just 40 and over, uh, marital status, expunged juvenile record, and uniform service. So the Oregon Workplace Fairness Act um, is a continuation of that law as it increases the statute of limitations for bringing uh, claims for discrimination, retaliation, harassment, from uh, increases the statute of limitations from one year to five years for any conduct that occurred after September 29th of 2019. And it also requires employers to have policies in place related to the reporting process for any alleged discrimination, retaliation, or harassment, and designating who to receive such complaints at the company, disclosing the five-year statute of limitations to employees, documenting any incidents of discrimination, retaliation, or harassment, and letting employees know that they're not required to enter into certain agreements like non-disparagement or non-disclosure agreements unless they voluntarily request it. So even if you have one employee in Oregon, um, you want to make sure that employers should consider complying with the Oregon Workplace Fairness Act. In addition to the uh, requirements for policies in the handbook that I just described, a copy of the policy related to the Oregon Workplace Fairness Act must also be provided to the employee at the time of hire and any time when an employee reports or provides information about any alleged unlawful conduct. So employers might consider including this policy in their employee handbook, as well as having a standalone copy of the policy to hand out when appropriate. And these requirements are unique to Oregon. They're more stringent than requirements in other states. So employers might consider reviewing their employee handbooks to see if they comply with the Oregon Workplace Fairness Act. 
Flo, other than the Oregon Workplace Fairness Act, what are some leave laws that are very unique to Oregon uh, that out-of-state employers should be aware of? Sure. So there are three uh, particular laws that I'm going to describe, um, but there are other laws that I won't get into today. So the first is OFLA, the Oregon Family Leave Act, and it has different eligibility requirements than the Family Medical Leave Act, FEMLA, for employees and for the reasons for taking such leave. So it includes any serious health condition for the same gender domestic partner uh, as well as a family member. And it also includes bereavement leave and sick child leave. OFLA applies to employers with at least 25 employees in Oregon. And for bereavement leave, employees can take up to two weeks for the death of a family member within 60 days of learning about the death. And for sick child leave, which we discussed in our last episode, uh, employees can take uh, OFLA leave for a child's non-serious health condition requiring home care or whose school or child care provider has closed during a public health emergency. And the second type of leave law in Oregon is the Oregon Military Family Leave Act. And it has the same employee eligibility requirements as OFLA. And employees working an average of 20 hours per week are also eligible. And the leave is for employees whose spouse or domestic partner is a member of the armed forces or called to active duty or deployment. And employees are eligible for 14 days of leave, and this can be taken before or during deployment. Finally, the Oregon sick leave, which we talked about in our last episode as well, uh, also applies to uh, employers who have at least 10 employees in Oregon or at least six employees in Portland, Oregon, and the sick leave must be paid. If the employer has fewer than 10 employees in Oregon or fewer than six employees in Portland, sick leave is still protected and must be provided, but it can be unpaid. There are other leave laws, but these are some notable policies uh, for employers who have employees in Oregon. Yeah, so one helpful tip for uh, employers with remote employees in Oregon is to keep an an eye on your threshold, how many people you have working in the state, and that will tell you uh, what laws you're subject to since they have different triggering amounts. So Flo, we know that uh, in Oregon, employers have to provide reasonable accommodations for medical conditions and religious beliefs absent and undue hardship if they're subject to uh, state anti-discrimination laws. But are there other accommodation laws that are specific to Oregon that out-of-state employers should be aware of? Yeah, so there are two particular accommodation laws that employers uh, should consider. So the first is the pregnancy accommodation law, which applies to employers with six employees total. And that means six employees uh, in the country, not just limited in Oregon. And under federal and Oregon law, uh, it's already unlawful to discriminate or retaliate because of pregnancy, childbirth, or pregnancy-related conditions like lactation. So reasonable accommodations under this law would include frequent or longer breaks or a modified work schedule. And when an employee announces that she's pregnant, the employer must provide another copy of the pregnancy accommodation policy within 10 days. So employers might consider keeping a standalone copy of this policy on hand in addition to having this policy in their employee handbook. The second type of accommodation law is the lactation accommodation law, which provides reasonable lactation breaks for nursing employees in Oregon until the child is 18 months of age. The employer must make reasonable efforts to provide private location to take lactation breaks. That is not the bathroom. And so it needs to be a separate place 
and employers must allow employees to bring a cooler to store expressed milk. Employers with less than 10 employees can assert an exemption based on undue hardship. And so uh, for employers who have remote employees in Oregon, uh, you might not have to worry about the private location for lactation breaks or the coolers to store the expressed milk, um, but keep in mind that other accommodations might be necessary for nursing employees as well, including longer and more frequent breaks. Flo, so we generally know that non-exempt employees are entitled to overtime for hours that they work in excess of 40 hours in the work week. Uh, if a non-exempt employee works remotely in Oregon, does the out-of-state employer need to comply with uh, Oregon's meal and rest break rules? Absolutely. So employers are still responsible with for complying with federal and Oregon wage and hour laws, and they need to be aware that Oregon has more specific and strict rest and meal break requirements than many other states. Uh, employers might consider visiting the Oregon Bureau of Labor and Industri- Industries website, uh, BOLI, for more detailed information, but uh, I'll, I'll provide a brief overview today. So for a meal break, employees working at least six hours must take an unpaid meal break of 30 continuous minutes. Employees who work 14 or more hours in a workday must receive a second 30-minute meal break and a third 30-minute meal break if they work 22 or more hours in a workday. And when the employee needs to take the meal break within the shift, and depends on how long they're working the shift. And uh, Boley has a helpful uh, guide on this in terms of when the employee should start and end their, their meal break during their shifts. And no meal break is required if the employee is working less than six hours. For rest breaks, uh, employees must take two 10-minute paid rest breaks for every four hours worked or a major part of their shift. Uh, again, Boley has a very helpful resource on their website to uh, show how many rest and meal breaks must be provided depending on the length of the shift. Employers might consider implementing a time recording policy, um, communicating how long the breaks are and when to take them. This helps to ensure that employees are taking appropriate breaks. And regardless of how you implement the policy, ultimately the employer is responsible for showing what hours the employee worked and when breaks were taken. It's essentially a strict liability question uh, because the employer has to show that all required meal and rest breaks are actually taken, not just provided. So if an employee voluntarily skips breaks or cuts them short, an employer is still liable. If an employee's meal is cut short or interrupted, they must be paid for the full break. And this is a really tricky issue with a remote workforce in Oregon. Um, that could become the basis of wage and hour lawsuits. And if you, if an employer has many remote workers in Oregon, uh, it could become the basis for class action wage and hour lawsuits. So, Paul, we've uh, talked a little bit about the circumstances for remote employees in Oregon. Uh, if an employer has an employee in Oregon who works remotely, does the employer have to reimburse them for work-related expenses like computer equipment or cell phones? So some states require reimbursement for business-related expenses. Um, Under federal law, the Fair Labor Standards Act, there is no direct expense reimbursement requirement. Um, The Fair Labor Standards Act, however, is implicated if an employee's unreimbursed business expenses brings their wages below the applicable minimum wage or cuts into their overtime wages. So the same is true for Oregon. Oregon requires reimbursement only if failing to do so would place the employee's wage below the minimum wage 
or cut into the overtime wages they're entitled to. If you have employees in Oregon and another state that requires reimbursement, um, as an employer, you might want to consider adopting a written policy that outlines the expense, expense reimbursement guidelines and um, how employees are reporting those expenses. It's uh, generally a good idea to also set written procedures for requesting reimbursements, um, including forms and deadlines and that thing, those types of things, so that an employer can track uh, what expenses are reimbursable and whether the employee's wages are being cut into. Great. And Paul, what should employers consider with respect to workers' compensation for an employee based in Oregon? I get this question a lot from clients who are out of state and they're wondering what, what their workers' compensation uh, coverage requirements are when they have remote employees in Oregon. And it's a question that doesn't just apply to Oregon. It applies to many other states as well if you have remote workers. Generally, employers are required to have workers' compensation coverage where the employee's work is localized. The determination of whether an employee's work is localized is typically fact-dependent. And it includes considerations of whether an employee works regularly at an employer's place of business and the location where an employee is domiciled and spends a substantial part of their working time. So for remote employees who work exclusively in Oregon and live in Oregon, workers' compensation coverage in Oregon will likely be required. Public, private, and self-insured workers' compensation coverage obligations vary from state to state. Some states have reciprocity agreements with other states that allow them to uh, accept out-of-state workers' compensation insurance policies. These reciprocity agreements allow employers to bring employees temporarily into another state from the reciprocal state without having to purchase um, a whole other uh, in-state workers' compensation insurance policy. Employers that want to take advantage of reciprocity will generally need to obtain uh, what's known as extraterritorial coverage from their existing insurers and provide proof of that coverage to the remote employee state agency. Employers may wish to determine whether extraterritorial coverage requirements apply in addition to considering employer practices liability and or directors and officers liability insurance policies to avoid gaps in coverage. Um, and it's definitely a good idea to review these laws, review the state agency requirements for coverage, and consult with your insurance brokers to determine what your obligations are. Great, thanks. And so in terms of unemployment insurance, what are some issues that employers might keep in mind? So with respect to unemployment insurance, uh, the state in which wages must be reported and unemployment taxes due might change as a result of remote work. The Department of Labor's localization of work provisions create a uniform four-factor test to determine which state's wages should be reported to and unemployment insurance tax paid. Uh, the objective of the, of the provisions is to simplify the reporting of wages, allocate employees' wage credits to the state where the individual is most likely to become unemployed, and avoid dividing the employment of the individual among the states where services are performed. Oregon applies the Department of Labor uh, test I just spoke about, and the test considers localization, that's where the services are performed, the base of operations, which is the established location where work begins and ends, the place of direction and control, where the direction and control is emanating from, and the residence of the employee. The test is applied in a waterfall approach with the first factor answered affirmatively to be dispositive. So, for example, uh, a determination of localization where services are performed exclusively in Oregon 
sets Oregon as the reporting state for wages and payment of unemployment tax and doesn't require analysis of the remaining factors. Evaluating this four-factor test in the context of COVID-19 can create some unique challenges, and namely that is whether the remote work performed in another state as a result of the pandemic is considered incidental or temporary compared to the work the employee typically conducts in the original state. So employees working remotely for uh, the limited duration of a government mandate to slow the spread of COVID-19 likely have a greater chance of being considered incidental or temporary compared to employees who have shifted to a permanent remote work environment in another state. Employers may also want to consider revisiting or adopting remote work policies that address the duration and frequency of remote work compared to office work in the original state. And this is particularly important for employers who have operations in cities that border different states. So for example, uh, Portland's a great, great example for this because right across the bridge is Vancouver, Washington. And so you may have an employee who is working in both states and you need to evaluate uh, the various laws and how much time they're spending in those states. Companies should also be wary of activities in Oregon that might trigger obligations to register the company in Oregon and pay certain corporate taxes. We're not going to get into that uh, discussion today, but that's another thing that I just wanted to flag. If you have remote workers, or if you're expanding your operations into these other states that you don't normally uh, uh, get engaged in, it's something to think about you know, with corporate taxes and business registration requirements. Well, great. Thank you, Paul. And thank you, everybody, for joining us in today's uh, Employment Law Series podcast. Uh, we hope that the information we provided regarding uh, remote workers in Oregon and considerations for employers are helpful to you. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.